Bridging the gap between people and technology. The Fireside Podcast is recorded and produced in Brisbane, Australia. And I am your host, Adam Bocut. And the Fireside Podcast is sponsored by Fire. And you're about to listen to episode 10, Bitcoin, Taking the Long Road and Education with Dr. Craig Wright. Welcome to the Fireside Podcast and I'm your host, Adam Bocut, and I'm excited to introduce today's special guest, Dr. Craig Wright, Chief Scientist at Chain, among many other talents. So, so Craig, how's England? Uh stupidly locked down yeah <laughs> still still there still there. there's a lot of things a few things happening uh, in the world at the moment i'm in i'm in brisbane australia which i understand you're um, you're quite familiar with that place aren't you i was born there and raised so yes there you go there you go yeah so um stupidly locked down are there any um any anything sort of uh, anything any progress at the moment because in australia it's starting to starting to ease off a bit it's not too bad no I think the whole thing was an insane uh, sort of power grab. But anyway, uh, we had more deaths in 2008 and no one remembers that. Mm, yeah, so there's, uh, so, you, so you're thinking that, um, so you're, oh, just, yeah, briefly, what's your, what's your, your, um, your thoughts on that? Deeper thoughts on that, as in, um, it, so you think it was a, it was a stupid decision to, to do that or what? I think it was a set of stupid decisions following stupid decisions based on fear, uncertainty and doubt, um, all because of things like Twitter and other toxic social media. Mm, yeah, I, I hear you. <laughs> I was just on Twitter earlier, actually. Uh, there will be, for every death that has been by COVID, there will probably end up being at least 10 by starvation and other things. Um, right now, we're already talking about um, sort of uh, the rise of poverty again in, in different areas of the world. Um, nobody's looking at um, sort of the democratic capture of uh, sort of anti-democratic capture of certain governments. Uh, lots of things are happening that no one seems to care about because, well, there's a virus. But as I said, there was a flu virus in um, uh, 2008 that actually uh, killed quite a lot of people. There have been many others throughout history. Um, at one point of the Spanish flu 100 years ago, the total death count from COVID was occurring every day. So, so why, why do you think those decisions were made? Uh, it's purely just because of things like Twitter and whatever else, fear. Uh, all this sort of as I said before, toxic social media. Uh, we have basically a, a set of things that bring out the worst in people. And that, that's the entire incentives of Twitter and other things like them. Their whole purpose is to cause discord and make people uh, fight and, and bring out trolls and whatever else, because that's how right. they sell advertising. They're not uh, there to actually have a platform that people want to use. They're there purely just to cause problems. Right. Fair enough. Fair enough. That's a, there's a bit of an insight there. So I mean, it's not what, even about freedom of speech. It's, it's anti-freedom of speech. 
Um, yeah. I mean, you say something that they don't want and you get banned. Yeah, that's even, that's even um, topical. Today, the, there's been, a, been an order placed by, by Trump, hasn't there? To, um... Well, I, I think they could have taken action without even the order, personally. Mm. Uh, one of the areas I studied in um, my LLM thesis was uh, in part this, uh, apart from payment intermediaries, it was also mm. other internet intermediaries. And what people don't understand is to have sort of a common interest uh, sort of exemption, um, you have to actually not take any action. You, right. can't, you can't sit there and sway people or anything like this. You have to have an open forum. You have to be like an internet router and basically not be the publisher, not, not care. But simultaneously, uh, have some way of having attribution to the end users being able to stop someone who's doing something illegal, all that stuff. So none of that's being done by Twitter. Um, right. If anything, um, I mean, okay. if you think about it, I mean, my estimate at the moment, um, based on, on studies, I've done a lot of um, uh, things like terrorism studies and whatever else. Mm -hmm. uh, I think 30% uh, of Twitter's income is right now from funding terrorism, uh, which comes from uh, indoctrinating people, um, uh, what do you call it, um, uh, enabling people to get involved with other areas and then moved into Discord and Telegram groups and things like this. Um, the promotion of false information, uh, allowing funding to go through. Uh, you then move into criminal groups, spammers, uh, all these other things. And what we have is this large, effectively evil empire Mm. Um, promoting every sort of bad thing in society. Um, if there's something bad, then Twitter's a gateway to it. Yeah. Well, I've, um, I said I was on it earlier and I mentioned before that it's, as soon as I go on there, that it's, it's, it spills a lot of, a lot of toxicity there as in, you know, 30, I can you know, imagine that 30% would be, um, would be about right. So just, um, just gently moving to the, the intro question before we kind of went started chatting about the um, social media and it's definitely definitely important as well is um, all right Craig so um, why and how did you get into computer science and how did it lead to where you are now uh, and it was just something I was interested in from um, from being a kid uh, my uncle uh, who was um, in the Air Force, uh, had computers in the early day. My grandfather had computers in the early days. Um, I spent a lot of time with my grandfather. Um, he had a early connection to uh, what is now the internet, uh, which was actually a terminal going down to um, Melbourne IT and um, uh, what now is Melbourne University back then um, and um, other places. So. Um, when you're talking about, I mean, uh, I mean, I first, I had my first email in 1979, which was uh, UUCP, Unix to Unix copy. Uh, wow. People then realized that uh, uh, back then email could take a day to get through. It was like post. <laughs> 1970, send an email. I suppose it's still quicker than a, uh, than a letter, than the original letter. I know, <laughs> just showing my age now, but. <laughs> yeah, that was my date of birth. <laughs> <laughs> 
Wow. Um, so, and then, so it's kind of, there's quite a lot I can imagine that happened since then or what you've been involved in. Because you're, um, you, you have a PhD as well. You're a, a doctor. Uh, um, and you, you do, you, you obviously spend a lot of time, um, you know, writing and reading and um, very academic, would you say? Mm, yeah. Um, yeah, I, I both, um, I, I have um, degrees, but I'm still studying as well. Um, so, yeah, so I've actually got um, what uh, people on Twitter would, would call evil. I've got a, um, <laughs> a doctorate in theology because um, yeah. I used to be a pastor, which um, is sort of, the death knell of ever working for um, anyone in Silicon Valley. Uh, I believe there was a, a show called Silicon Valley where they actually had an episode about that. One of the um, one of the clients uh, they admitted they, they said he was a gay Christian, and they went, "I'm sorry, I, I didn't realize you went out." He went, "I'm not, but it's not that you told me. I've uh, told everyone that I was gay. You said I was a Christian." <laughs> Yes. Yeah, so, no one will ever talk to me again. Oh, theology, <laughs> Christianity, religion. <laughs> wow. So, so to get, you have a degree, sorry, a, um, a PhD in, in theology. I used to be a pastor. So um, how can... No, it's actually a, a professional doctorate, which is a doctor of theology, at, uh, uh, DTH or THD. Right. But, right. Just quibbling over, you know, nomenclature. Yeah, no, no, fair enough. Um, so, yeah, so because the, the Fireside podcast, it's to do with uh, linking or well, bridging the gap between people and technology. So just getting a bit of an idea about, you know, the, the person, um, you know, behind you know, the, the personality and the, uh, the background of, of where you got to here. And then obviously we'll move on to uh, technology because you're you're um, you're part of uh, involved in and creating a, quite a quite a significant uh, piece of piece of technology that he's still working on so that's what we're gonna gonna build towards so my next question for you Craig is uh when you typed up the bitcoin white paper what impact did you foresee it to have at the time and in hindsight what would you have done differently knowing what you know now uh, I don't know what I would have done differently I probably would have um I can't say. I don't know how I would have done anything different and made it work. I probably would have made a few comments um, telling the anarchists and criminals to piss off, but who knows whether... <laughs> just, like, just like PS, <laughs> anarchists, yeah. um, piss off. Yeah, yeah. yeah. not be so nice. Um, uh, Electronic Frontier Foundation, piss off. Uh, WikiLeaks, piss off. Um, not, not please don't use this. Get the, go uh, stick your head up your ass and go away. We don't want you. So but, what was it? Uh, why? The problem why there is that? how do you tell people not to use cash? I mean, right, uh, right, yeah, yeah. Cash yeah. is cash. So, yeah. I mean, I didn't. Yeah, I mean, so the problem was what they were saying about it. Right, uh, right, right. Like all this stuff about um, uh, sense of uh, censorship resistance and all that crap didn't come from me. That actually came from uh, some guy in the Electronic Frontier Foundation who basically saw Bitcoin as this way of getting around government, which right. it never was. I mean, that they mis misconstrued it and this whole node thing uh, from James Donald and everything was taken up by them. And they, they wrote up in, in early 2011 
and articles explaining that um, uh, Bitcoin will be decentralized into billions of nodes. It won't. I keep pointing this out. The fact is, with 2016 um, sort of blocks and a reset or whatever else in, in that sort of period, there is no way to have more than a few hundred nodes. I mean, you can have um, an individual pool that runs multiple exit gateways, but effectively there's still logically one node. They're one entity running it. Now, the maximum would be 2016 nodes can exist. If you're not creating a block, you're not a node. So all this, I've got a node. Well, no, you yeah. don't. So it sounds it's like a mesh. It's, it's a, a sort of dense, it's not a sparse network. It's a densely connected network. Um, there's not a lot of research on dense network connectivity. There's lots on sparse connectivity, um, but no one seems to look at um, sort of the collapse into uh, a virtual central point. And it's not about decentralization. It's about distributed systems. Mm. The whole point is not we're decentralized. It is secure. It is reference two and reference three of the white paper in a way that doesn't fail. Mm. Sounds like the narrative has been, um, you know, been, been forced uh, that way. It's similar. It's, it kind of reminds me of you mentioned before about Twitter and, and social media mm. and, and that sort of, it's been sort of hijacked by, by different mm. entities. So, and just to, just to clarify for the, the listeners who don't quite fully understand or across the, um, some of the terminology, what can you clarify what, what nodes are with, in relation to, um, to, to networks? Nodes, or or Bitcoin? Minus, nodes yeah. that you find in my white paper are section five. Yeah. Nodes propagate, nodes create blocks, nodes do all this other stuff that you have to actually um, be part of the consensus process to do. Mm -hmm. There's no, I, I'm a node because I forward blocks. You don't. Um, basically, the miners are all densely connected. So if we take, uh, right at the moment, BTC even, has a total of 32 nodes maximum in the last year. Mm -hmm. Most of those come and go. So even if we give them the higher end, 32, your Raspberry Pis aren't. Um, the connectivity from two hops is uh, for each of the blocks that they're doing is done in under um, 80 milliseconds um, plus geographic time. Now, effectively what this means is your Raspberry Pi node who has an average uh, sort of block validation and distribution time of around 120 milliseconds has no say. Basically what happens is you're sending blocks to other Raspberry Pis, but so what? Because if you think about it, uh, the only way to vote, inverted commas, which is not mm -hmm. voting on rules, it's voting on enforcement. That's the last sentence of the white paper, enforcement. Enforcement isn't changing rules. You don't want policemen changing rules. You want them mm. forcing. So it is only creating blocks. If you don't create a block, you have no say. So you, you, there's no mesh here. So if your node decides I'm not going to forward anything, too bad. There's only two hops in the network. So 
basically it's like taking a major river, something like the Amazon, mm -hmm. and your node is the equivalent of a pin. And you stick it, you stick that pin in there and say, I'm not going to have the Amazon uh, go round this way. And the Amazon oh, gotcha. Yeah, yeah. It's not, not much impact. It just keeps going sure. the same direction. Yeah. Nothing practically at all. So with, um, with Bitcoin, I, my previous uh, guest was, uh, was Michael Hudson. And he, he had an analogy of, of what Bitcoin is. He, he referred to it as a, as a pen. And he's writing, you're writing on the ledger. So mm -hmm. would you have an a, a, a analogy that, for the layperson that you could explain in one sentence or you know, an elevator pitch or whatever it would be? How would you explain what Bitcoin is? Oh, I wouldn't. I mean, the blockchain itself is a distributed ledger. Mm. Now, what that means is you have a small number of nodes that create the ledger. This isn't so that the rules are decentralized and can't be controlled. It's so that if one, and it mentions this, if one entity has a problem, goes bankrupt, disappears, gets hacked, the others keep going. Mm. If one seeks to be um, uh, criminal in nature, it's captured by hackers, whatever else, the rest keep going. So that's the whole point. You can't, uh, if you attack a single entity, it's easy. But attacking all 32 BTZ nodes even is difficult. So that's what it's really about. Mm. Okay. And then the validation is that it's public. So not everything needs to be validated. All you need to do is validate your own transactions and then watch the hash header, the block header that gets sent around the network. Now, effectively, it's a digital cash system built on a commodity uh, property format. So you hold your tokens. There's none of this tokens are on the blockchain. Tokens mm -hmm. are registered on the blockchain. The blockchain is just like, imagine the old days where you had a paper journal and you yeah. had to enter things and uh, you couldn't scribble it out. Why did people have paper journals? Because you can't easily scribble them out. You had to use pen because pencil you could change. Mm, but if you try and change it, you have to change everything. So those who haven't done accounting, what they'll realize is in double entry bookkeeping, you keep adding up the totals. Now that means you, if you change a page, you have to change uh, something on a page, you have to change all the other bits too. It's not just one little change and everything uh, is okay. Right. You have to make lots of alterations and that becomes easy to detect. So someone manipulating with these. But in paper journals, even uh, now in, in write-only media, uh, like write once, read many uh, media, as every single Fortune 500 company in America uses for their accounting, you have the ability to change records. It's called appending. So blockchains work that way. You don't alter by going back and redoing all the, the thing. But the same as you never altered a ledger. You don't go back and rewrite all the ledgers. What you do is you append. Mm. And everyone runs around not thinking that there is no encryption in Bitcoin. It is clear text and public for a reason. 
if it was encrypted, you would not be able to do this. If you could not view the values, this is why all these silly things um, by the want-to-be criminals out there, um, Minwimble and things like that keep coming up. This idea of encrypting all the data so that you can't see it. Their, their thing is, we want a system that criminals can use. Well, that's not Bitcoin. Bitcoin mm -hmm. enables all the balances, uh, all the amounts to be um, taken at every point. So the way I would describe Bitcoin is, imagine each individual token as a grain of rice. There are indivisible fungible tokens that are Bitcoin. Each Bitcoin as a unit is 100 million indivisible virtual grains of rice. Mm -hmm. If you can't go to fractional Bitcoin, there's no such thing. It's like there's no fractional grain of rice. You own a grain of rice. You don't own a quarter of a grain of rice. Right, yeah. So, um, yeah, it's not rice powder. It's a different product. Then. So they get put into virtual envelopes. Those virtual envelopes are called UTXOs, unspared outputs. Each envelope can only be used once. An address is the equivalent of a post box. So you can have many envelopes, many UTXOs in your post box. If you want to get the tokens out, you have to rip open the envelope and it can never be used again. When you do that, you can give one or more envelopes to another person, pouring them into their envelopes and effectively uh, then putting them into uh, be registered. And the registration would be equivalent to what we have in um, England and Australia as a DX, document exchange, where it's a registered post effectively. And there's a ledger of all the transactions. Now, this concept actually goes back to right into the uh, sort of second century of Rome and earlier. Um, there's something called commixtico. So following and um, tracing of mixtures, et cetera, uh, for money and other goods. And the law is old. But people are trying to not get everyone to look at that. Why? Because that would allow them to, not allow them to have their false narratives. So things like they say about signing with Bitcoin. You don't sign with Bitcoin unless you've got an identity. Identity is firewalled. If you read the white paper, I do have it in there. I mm -hmm. mentioned that identity is firewalled off. So it's not stored publicly, but that doesn't mean it doesn't exist. You can create hierarchical subkeys that can provably link to, say, a PKI or other type uh, identity. So when you sign and identities um, are exchanged, for instance, something that could be done in the original version of Bitcoin, where I talked about IP to IP transfer, where I would connect directly to your wallet, your software, and we would exchange. And there would be off-chain exchanges as well. We could send messages, invoices, update information. All of that then allows us to exchange identity. Because all this cash is anonymous. No, it's not. 
small amounts of cash are very synonymous. If you buy something for $200, it is, no one cares. Mm -hmm. If you buy something for $1,000, you're required to have a transaction record. If you buy something for over $5,000, there must be uh, at least US, uh, Euros in France, uh, it varies, the amounts vary, of course, depending on the country. but. Uh, US five, $5,000 um, in many places, statute of frauds for uh, personal chattels, uh, property. That will mean uh, you have to have a documentation of all of the exchange. It doesn't matter whether you do it in cash or um, in biscuits or rice or whatever it is. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Um, and funding regulations don't matter. So interesting case, Arthur Badowski, uh, Libya Reserve case in 2017, the appeal, he argued we're a cryptocurrency. And the judge said, um, uh, it doesn't matter, it's funding. And funding described everything, whether it was currency, whether it was diamonds, gold, or watches even was uh, one of the quote from the judges. So if you could pay someone in Rolexes, it's still funding. Funding. Hmm. So there's no need. I mean, everyone's going, but Bitcoin's different. Bitcoin's not different. Bitcoin is funding. Full stop. So when you exchange these things, if you want to digitally sign a message, if you want to do something, here's lesson one. You can't do anonymous identity. There's no such thing. Yeah, it's oxymoron. It doesn't make sense. So the definition of signature is defined. This is mm. going back hundreds of years in law. You cannot sign something anonymously. When you put an X on a page, the origin of that being um, uh, actually a Christian symbol of I'm agreeing, not that I couldn't write my name or anything like that. Many of the people were fully literate. Um, in uh, the 16th century, for instance, uh, if you were Jewish, you would, write, you would sign your name. If you were Christian, you would put a cross. And that meant uh, for many people, um, if they were um, you know, very literate or whatever else, the writing of the name wasn't the signature. Uh, so the, what many people think of uh, as signatures aren't signatures. They're the person writing their name. The signature is the cross. Not nice. the sign here. It's actually, I agree, I'm under oath. So that's the that's the bit of information that's put on the to link it back mm -hmm. to to Bitcoin on on the ledger. Mm -hmm. I, so, I have it. Mm. Yeah. So to to then sign, you need to have your name and identity. So this is something people are not talking about at the moment. Um, so that you can use a digital signature algorithm without creating a signature. Running a digital signature doesn't uh, algorithm doesn't create a signature. Having an identity does and you can't create an identity backwards in time mm. so you can't go backwards and say i'm going to sign from a key that i had in 2009 that uh, i'm proving i had now the only way to do it is to show a key at this point and then you can sign forward but that doesn't prove anything before the proof of your identity right so I've re retrospective, I've got a couple of questions from, uh, from the audience that d does relate no to this. And 
for people that um, that are listening who you know don't they're, they're still getting to, to terms with trying to understand it because it's, yeah, it is, it, is a, it is a journey that quite a few of us are on, myself included. And um, this might help to, to clarify the, the, um, the descriptions of Bitcoin as well. So from, um, from John Pitts, he has said, and this relates back to UTXO when you mentioned that, is mm -hmm. what is the least amount of Satoshis a UTXO can be to have, say, 10 gigabytes of data attached to it via op push data would nodes be able to prune the data so long as you paid the agreed fee and didn't spend the utxo um well one nodes can do whatever they want uh, if you make an agreement with the node to keep data that's one thing um pruning is part of bitcoin so that's uh part of it if you have an unspent utxo um then it's an unspent UTXO. You have to incorporate um, sort of the payment to the miners, but that can be separate. So the UTXO could have one Satoshi in theory, uh, apart from the dust limit that needs to be removed eventually. Um, that one Satoshi. That's a grain of rice. Just to yeah. Sorry? So one Satoshi yeah. is a grain of rice? Yeah, one, one grain of rice but it will cost you more than one grain of rice to save that one grain of rice. So if you've got a large amount of data, it might cost you say a uh, hundred thousand grains of rice mm -hmm. to save that one grain of rice that is in a very big bag with other things. Right. Okay. I mean, effectively what you're talking about is I've got a grain of rice in a envelope, but this envelope also has a car in it. Um, and I want to save um, my envelope with the car and the grain of rice, referencing the grain of rice. And, well, someone's going to charge you a lot more because the car weighs a lot more than the grain of rice. Right. So it's, so it's connected together. It's part of the same yeah. so transaction. This is what people don't get. So you can, you can send a small transaction um, and pay minor fees. And the minor fees might end up being more than the transaction that you're saving. Right. Okay. All right. So, um, moving forward, there'll be a few more audience questions as well, but I'll move forward with the, um, the other questions as well. Uh, my, my questions here. So, all right, Craig, so what's your role at Enchain and what does a typical day look like? Oh, my role at Enchain is chief scientist, and, uh, I don't know what a typical day is. I mean, <laughs> it probably isn't one when, when you, when you're building the building, um, Bitcoin SV, BSV? Well, at the moment, a typical day doesn't involve travel anymore. So, um, oh, of a course, more, yeah. A lot more gardening at the end. Um, <laughs> nice, nice. English country uh, garden, is it? No, fairly much. Um, wife does the flowers, I do the vegetables. Nice. Excellent. Uh, so, a lot of study, a lot of writing, a lot of study. Yeah. Because even from, from speaking to you, I, I remember, I'm glad I actually got to meet you in person um, in London. Um, that's when the first um, uh, sort of uh, outbreak well, the, of this, uh, this virus and we're encouraged to, as a, Bit, as a Bitcoin association, we're encouraged to, um, to not, not shake hands and, you know, do the fist pump or the, you know, sorry, the, the, the elbow, the elbow um, knock. And I remember... Remember me? Yeah, you had the leather gloves on, and I was trying to, uh, I was trying to, I was trying to, um, 
do the elbow one and then and then it was a bit it's a little bit awkward because you you went to shake my hand and then anyway it was great to meet you and I, what i've noticed and even chatting to you now it's really great to to have a conversation with you is the the depth of knowledge and clarity you have around a, an array of subjects so where does that come from is that from all the, the deep study and reading or you know general interest or because it's yeah it's really really great to um to have a conversation with um, with someone like yourself, Craig? Uh, well, I study everything. Um, I mean, I, as I said, I'm still studying at the moment, uh, apart from doing my doctor of law uh, and other things. I mean, I'm also um, uh, even engaged in a master of arts in Eng English literature and a master of arts in uh, European history. Wow, so master of arts, English literature, master of arts, uh, European, Art, history. Oh, sorry, you. Sorry, you've been history, and um, you also I've got a bachelor in um, uh, what do you call it? Um, art history. Uh, I'll yeah. eventually want to do a master of arts in, in art history as well, but wow. only so much time I have in the day. Yeah, and you're doing another. You're doing another doctorate. Hmm. Yeah. Wow. Um, so you have so it's part. Of, it makes up quite a quite a chunk of your day. Is, is the study and the reading so that keep keeps you sharp. Mm -hmm. Yeah. All right. Excellent. So, all right. Moving on. What do you think the world needs more or less of? Education. And by yeah. education, I'm not talking about what people call education now. Um, doing a BSc is not education. Doing um, a law degree is not education. Doing engineering is not education. That is training. Mm. So when you're doing something to get a job, that's training. And schools are focused on getting people uh, sort of usable education, which is training right now. Um, the tradition of education is one of training in morals, ethics, um, reality, and, and history, and knowledge of what happened in the past, which is severely lacking right now. I mean, um, I was um, helping the daughter yesterday who was um, uh, doing a art uh, sort of, I said, uh, not art, uh, history assignment mm -hmm. uh, to do with um, World War II. And um, she didn't even know who MacArthur was. I mean, she, uh, which they're only just learning, but I mean, I would have known that when I was in primary school. Um, and even worse, um, we've actually got the, the, the photo that she had in her textbook, uh, MacArthur and um, uh, the Japanese emperor on um, the sort of the sort of end of World War II, uh, where they, they signed and everything together. We've got um, the original photo up here in my office. Uh, signed by MacArthur in one of these things, um, which I pointed out to her, I've showed you that, and she went, yeah, and, I mean, and it's, we don't encourage the interest that used to be there. Uh, yeah, why, why do you think that why? is? We don't, well, a number of years ago, um, Reverend Jesse Jackson started a whole lot of BS about um, sort of education in the US and many things have changed and we're now focusing on things that are totally useless. Now, one of the attacks against education has been this 
um, that uh, sort of classical education is really about uh, old dead white men. But mm. One of the things I'd like to point out is some of these people that they call old dead white men um, include Sofio. Um, she was a famous erotic poet, uh, Greek, from the island of Lesbos. And mm. she was a lesbian, female, and um, yeah. Uh, then um, Augustine, uh, as in St. Augustine, he mm -hmm. was actually from Ethiopia slash Libya. Um, so not exactly what you'd call an old dead. There's a lot of people who aren't old dead white men. I mean, some of them are female, some of them are uh, from Nubia, African areas, um, from other areas in, um, in Europe. So I think they're doing a disservice. I mean, if you wanted to be someone like Reverend Jackson doing a disservice uh, to his own community uh, by not even pointing out that some of these famous people in history weren't just white guys. Mm. I mean, that's one of the things people really don't get is that um, uh, Rome was a, a melting pot. It had people from all over uh, different areas. There are uh, a lot of people with, uh, people don't realize, but uh, there are people with African descent in England here that have ancestry going back over 2000 or about 2000 years now. Um, there were African uh, troops went over with Caesar and stayed. Um, well, basically they went back to Gaul and then when Hadrian came, they, they ended up staying. And, and there are people with uh, African ancestry who have been in England longer than either the Saxons or the Normans. Well, so there's, so, so again, yeah, again, it seems like there's a, you know, a, a, a narrative that's, uh, that affects how people absorb history or information that's, uh, that's, well, that's correct. there. Could, I mean, here, here's something. I mean, we talk about Anglo-Saxon England, but if your ancestry is um, sort of, uh, sub-Saharan African uh, from going back uh, to a Nubian um, origin um, uh, sort of south of Egypt mm -hmm. and you came over around 79 AD and then stayed then you actually have a longer British history and ancestry than the Saxons who only came between 600 and 800 AD and then sort of populated until uh, around um, a thousand um, or the Normans who came of course Battle of Hastings etc um, around the turn of the millennium so you have a thousand years more history than the Norman sort of conquest but mm. is that ever mentioned I mean so, so that's educate. not even a white guy that that means yeah. there are I mean there are people with African ancestry who have been here in England longer than the Anglo-Saxons. Of course, if you go to Wales, then they'll argue we're Gaelic and... <laughs> yeah, there you go. Yeah, well, I used to, um, I used, when I lived in England, I lived uh, 
in um, in the West Midlands in a small town called Malvern in Worcestershire, and that was uh, that was on the on the Welsh border. So used to be a few 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 jokes being thrown around between the the English and, and the Welsh. So <laughs> pretty au okay on that. So education. So we that's what the world needs more of the the, the type of education, for example, history and and wanting to 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 get some knowledge that's not just um, you know a certain narrative it, would, would so you say practically that? everything that we see as a current problem is something that seems to have been with us before mm. um say the technology is different so what technology doesn't change humanity mm. contrary to what some people will try and tell you which is really a control thing there's no code is law code doesn't do anything code just does what people say it does. A person creates code. A person implements code. A person. There's always a human hand pushing the button. So when someone says, oh, the code did it. Well, no, the code didn't do it. A person did something. That could be broken code where it doesn't do what they wanted. The same way mm. as it could be a broken tool. But no computer has any agency. And this is an important fact. No computer has agency. No computer decides. Humans decide. What There's is no that's such that's thing that's as a general AI. Yeah, that's what I was going to say. Singularity crap. Yeah. We're not <laughs> going to have singularity <laughs> in 20 years. I don't believe we will ever see singularity. Really? It's a load of BS to oh, solve this interesting. Concept. It's a religion. Right. That, oh, could you, could you um, expand on that a bit? Because I'm super interested in that. Because, you know, I, even, I was talking about um, in, in the conversation b before uh, with, with you on, on the Meta, on Metanet. I see was uh, about quantum mechanics and, and, and AI. And so you, you think there's definitely not going to be a singularity or... Or, or quantum computing is, I, is not going not gonna to happen or exist? Well, one, quantum computing is a big boondoggle that um, uh, enables people to rip money out of government and right, uh, yeah. keep funding going. Uh, personally, I think it's the biggest con job in human history. Mm. Um, basically, we get to the same point every time we get to decoherence at um, uh, five logic sorry five physical qubits uh, because to actually make a working logical qubit which is a single qubit you can use you need to have um uh, what do you call it um, a coherent set of seven qubits or more now we have never done that in history we've got to five and they always decouple at five um, and our current stuff where we've said we've built a machine with hundreds of qubits um, that have no connection, that don't do anything. And out of all those hundreds, not a single logical qubit has ever been built. And now the latest is they start using quantum annealing and saying that it's a quantum computer, but they're not related at all. A quantum oh, annealing right. Machine, so it's not even connected. It's not really. No, it just it uses relate. the word quantum. Right, so, right. So it, it's unrelated. It's a slow classical computer that um, is specially designed like an ASIC would be for certain tasks. That's it. Gotcha. So 
With and, uh, and quantum uh, computers don't suddenly solve everything, like everyone. Yeah. <laughs> like this idea, um, public-private key algorithms will be broken. Will they? So I, I wrote a paper analyzing some of that and the number of qubits and all the rest. And, and there's no Moore's law type thing in, in any of the proposed solutions for quantum computing. Um, the need for superconductors, the need for um, sort of ultra low temperatures, et cetera, et cetera, means you end up uh, to be able to break ECDSA 256, you have uh, the ability, if you have like 10,000 plus qubits, which ends up a site that is like 20 football fields in mm -hmm. size, being able to do this maybe three times a year, it's still not instant. So you can solve three keys a year with this hypothetical $100 billion machine. Think about that. Using masses of energy. Yeah, and it's probably not very good for the environment either. It's another problem. It doesn't even exist, but that, that's yeah, the right, hypothetical yeah. people are talking about. Yeah. So if you take what we have now in these hypothetical quantum computers uh, based on the existing sort of technology or anything that they have proposed could be there in the next 20 years. We're talking billions of dollars. Mm. Um, for what? So, I mean, that, that's the, the thing no yeah. one's talking about. So, um, the, yeah, so I, I like your argument with the, um, the funding. It sounds like it's, it's to do with, you know, government funding. Oh, so much money is thrown by the US government at this. Um, it's this thing, we'll solve it. I'm sorry, but you won't square the circle no matter how much money you throw at it. Hmm. There are things so, we can't solve. Uh, and uh, like it or not, it doesn't matter that we like to run around going, we can solve everything, we're humans. No, we can't. We know a percent of 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 a percent. And I'll keep doing that 89 times of <laughs> knowledge uh, of the basic knowledge of the universe. Yippee. And we've stopped people learning how to think. Uh, by yeah. educating them. So where does this, where does this arrogant, because I, I get a bit of a feeling that when with, with, when we, you know, this science and we know, you know, I, I really like that, uh, the percent of a percent, you know, what we know, where I get a feeling there's a bit of um, arrogance from, 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 scientists where it's like we no, know I wouldn't so say much. scientists i'd say people who are uh, scientism scientism right okay. so all this uh, i mean this concept of uh, making multiverses and calling it theory um, and calling it physics and calling it science i'm sorry but there is no testable hypothesis there's no uh, it, it's really um, a way of sort of finding a uh, a god outside of god mm. i mean it's really taking we don't want to have god as our, our solution so we're going to make a new religion flying spaghetti monster and say that uh, the universe always existed which really how do you justify that because take it on faith Right. How do we okay. test there must have been an infinite number of universes and everything can exist, which is absolute asinine. Anyone, yeah. I mean, do these people actually have any mathematical qualifications before they make statements on physics? 
for number one, um, mm. I mean, if you actually start thinking about it, everything isn't possible because something's infinite. That is the stupidest statement ever. And I'll, so if I tell you, <laughs> between the number one and two, there are an infinite number of possible values. Do you deny that? Um, I, I don't quite 1. understand. 1.2, 1.001. So it's in infinity within the one between one and two. I got it. Yep. 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 Um, I agree. Do any of those values ever equal three? Yeah. Do they? Well, you've the gone one, infinity, but between. Oh, right, right. Range what, of after, one and two. after two. No, so. Mm -hmm. Okay, no. So there you go. This is what people don't understand. Infinite doesn't mean anything. You still have infinite bounds of different things. Um, and the mathematics is really complex. And a lot of physics collapses into singularities because singularities for the difficulty in math is simpler than the alternative which is to work out the non-singularity mathematics. Um, it's like one of these days, uh, I want to actually write it up and do a, a PhD in physics as well. Um, but I'll tell you that singularity <laughs> <can't exist. laughs> um, Amazing, yeah, yeah. The, the idea of a black hole doesn't yeah. truly exist. Yeah. Where we're going wrong is we're uh, not taking into uh, account the fluctuations in time space and what you'll actually see is remember as you get closer to the black hole time dilates more but so you have two competing processes which makes it a logistic and not exponential process so one goes that way one goes the other way and you end up with an s-curve so if you then consider Hawking radiation and black holes basically leak, then you have the problem that you never ever get to the singularity. So the closer you get to going into the black hole and collapsing into it, the longer it takes you. Wow. And before that even happens, the quantum effects will actually start varying, which we have no way of testing, because people talk about spaghettification. Like if a person was to go into a black hole, they'd be ripped apart. Mm. But you end up with a time dilation effect at quantum levels. So if you take the waveform of, say, what we wrongly call many times a point particle, an electron, a quark even, then the wave is across different areas of time. And when it's closer to the black hole, when, the si when it actually uh, has a quantum wave fluctuation towards, the time variation now has to be taken into account. You can no longer have even time. You have to have multidimensional uh, variant time now, which is a concept that is really difficult to understand um, yeah, my, my head's hurting right now. <laughs> so 
what we really need to do is mm. uh, change the way that we're looking at it and have a manifold um, and, and use a different form of mathematics. What would be the different form of ma mathematics? Does that a uh, uh, manifolds? Um, oh. Probably, I don't even know. I need to study more. No, no, but that that's, uh, that my, sounds. My, I've, no, <laughs> that sounds. So, uh, um, what I would like to do is just just move forward, if that's okay, to uh, a few of the other um, audience questions because it's I'm mindful of of time as well, and I'm really really enjoying the the conversation. I'm learning a lot as well, especially with the the vast depth of knowledge and, and how everything's interrelated as well. And I'm definitely getting a great idea of the, the person and, and, you know, so we, the fireside podcast is doing linking or well, bridging the gap between people and technology. And there's definitely a, a gap there that's uh, starting to, to bridge in, in some way. So uh, I've got a question here and it's from Michael uh, Werman and he has asked, so Craig, if miners get paid directly in fiat to process transactions, how does that affect Satoshi's invaluation or other ways? We brought it, we brought it right back to the, the Bitcoin technology here. Um, it doesn't. It's still a market. They still have to compete. So if they agree to a discount or whatever else, then they're still having to deal on a market. So, um, they're also increasing their rate of failure. So if they have a group of hidden transactions, um, the chance of them getting a block out starts to decrease. There's a chance of um, propagation leading to them having a loss. So that also then could be uh, either blocks not taken by other miners or rejected or other things. So um, it becomes a, um, a balance at the end of the day. How many transactions can they keep for a certain rate? They can't go infinitely small. They can't go to zero. Uh, they can't go infinitely large. They, so an equilibrium will form. I mean, it's a dynamical scenario where it's going to change. Um, but the way I would look at it is, I've said this before, Bitcoin's effectively a multi-leader Stackelberg game. So the leaders and followers, the primary nodes and the other ones have a interesting little economic dance. Hmm. Okay. So moving forward to the, um, the next question here, and I appreciate you answering these, uh, these audience questions is um, from, this is from Rita AM from Twitter, from the, that, that space there. Uh, with all the experience and knowledge you have regarding uh, economics, hackers, pedos, trafficking, etc., do you believe BTC is being run by the deep state cabal? And will the monetary system be going back to gold standard? If so, how will this affect Bitcoin? And that was in verbatim. verbatim. No, I don't believe anyone's going to go back to a gold standard. Um, I don't believe government will allow that. Uh, there's too much power in being able to control money. Um, I don't. I don't believe it's a deep state thing. Um, I don't. I mean, I don't think you need to have um, leadership of stupidity. I think stupidity <laughs> naturally evolves. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 
uh, I mean, especially when you take uh, some of the things that have been happening with um, uh, education and all the rest, one thing um, starts forming on top of another and you have an emergent phenomena. So as you stop educating people, as you start teaching them uh, falsehoods and stop teaching them uh, truths that have been known for a long time, then you end up with a world that um, uh, sort of feeds upon itself, one with Twitter and uh, yeah, <laughs> exactly. Twitter and, and Facebook and all the rest. Yeah. So uh, it looks like we're at a we're at a very interesting point in um, era in time at the moment. Which uh, it sounds as if um, you're you're definitely having a, a, a an influence on with regards to to Bitcoin and technology there. Um, so yeah, appreciate this. Uh, moving on to the next question. We've got a few more here, and then we'll move on to the the. Uh, the rapid fire questions here, Craig. So this is from Jake J. Uh, why do private keys not denote ownership of Bitcoin and how will Bitcoin and, pseudo, uh, and pseudonymously ensure ownership? Pseudonymously, I'm not sure if I pronounced that correctly. You don't pseudonymously ensure ownership. You ensure ownership by keeping records. A, a key is nothing to do with property. A key is basically the thing that the seal on the envelope it's how you record information the bitcoin is the virtual tokens the virtual grains of rice inside the utxo mm -hmm. so they're totally different things bitcoin's not stored on the blockchain bitcoin is something individuals hold uh, it's magic and you can send it down the phone line like some gray metal uh, that sort of zaps down electric wires but mm. uh, the same time we're talking about a, uh, a a difference in things so the record the sort of entry does not denote who owns so um anyway okay uh, and for the that's great and for the next uh, question, one other thing I mean, oh yeah uh, ownership itself though um how do you do that well how do you denote ownership in anything else? You have records. So you go to an exchange and you show where you bought, where you sold. So that's required for any sort of large amount. If you get paid, there'll be a pay slip. If you buy goods, you get an invoice. So. Right. Okay. So yeah, moving, uh, you know, I appreciate you clarifying, um, you know, clarifying that uh, that answer to the that question as well and so for the next one here craig is uh, lucky 86 has asked does the overall development ecosystem of bitcoin sv meet your expectations to date it's getting there uh, it would be nice if all this happened eight years ago yeah <laughs> <laughs> what can you can you clarify the audience what um what happened eight years ago uh, just all the, the changes and people wanting to make Bitcoin something it's not designed to be. Gotcha. Uh, everything from 2011 on. So. Right. Fair enough. Um, and I've got one from, it's a bit of an out there question. But I'm going to ask it anyway. Um, ish. So BC Games has asked, where's Jimmy? Uh, somewhere in America. Gotcha. There you go. Answered that for you, um, BC Games. He lives in America. Um, we're all locked down. No one's going anywhere. So I'd assume it is home. Yeah, yeah. 
fair enough. That's a, that makes sense. So um, I've got a couple of other questions here. All right. So this one's from uh, Marlab triple nine. Um, they're talking about the recent 370 megabyte block uh, mm-hmm. with one plus transaction TX. What does what do you see that's happening on a daily basis? And, and now that the protocol is locked and Bitcoin can scale, mm-hmm. what's the next plan or project in the pipeline? And um, well, it's how, how do you work to scale it further? I mean, right, the things to happen. So, yeah, I mean, uh, that's not big enough. <laughs> no, that's fair enough. That's when we're it. talking ten thousand times that size, then then. Uh, yeah, and he's actually asked, um, you know, more uh, specifically as personally, how, how, how are you in general? And as in the, with the current COVID situation, any stress uh, or? Bored, annoyed and whatever else, but yeah. uh, <laughs> the garden looks very good. Yeah, <laughs> the veggies. What, are, mm. what, veggies are, what, what veggies are doing well at the moment? Oh, all of them. I mean, I've got, um, got everyone's favorite pumpkins in there. They're going well. Oh, nice. The are going well. Um, yeah. Got some corn. Um, Nice. So that'd be good for the um, pumpkins. Would be good for for October then when it comes around. Exactly. Um, I'm going to have to end up in a minute. By the way. No, no, that's right. I'll wrap it. What I'll do, I'll move straight. There's quite. There was a lot, a lot of, lot of questions. I had to fill them down. But um, I'll move on to the rapid fire questions, Craig. So I'm yeah, mindful of the time. So and we'll, and we'll wrap it up there. So really appreciate this. So, um, what's the the one book that had the biggest impact on your life? Uh, I don't know if I'd say one book. Uh, one, too many. Too many, no, that's right. Um, and then, what's your favourite quote or motto? I need to think more about that. There's, no, again, that's lots of them. Um, <laughs> that's right. I, mean, I can forward these to you. There, are, you there are a few from Psalms that on education. There's a lot by Marcus Aurelius. Um, oh, I love Marcus Aurelius. I'm reading these, um, the, oh, the 365 meditation, not meditations. Right. It's, uh, yeah, no, Marcus Aurelius. Yeah. Look, great, great philosopher. So, so if you were to, almost there, and if you were to choose any animal to be, what would it be and why? Human. Human? <laughs> nice. I like being me. Tab yeah, yeah. Love it. And this is a lot finally to wrap up. So finally, before we sign off, Craig, is there anything you'd like to say or promote to our listeners? Um, I guess what I'd say is um, don't take the sort of quick road. Always take the long road, the hard road, the one that actually helps you build something. Everyone seems to want instant riches, instant wealth. The reality is that's fleeting. If you want something of value, if you want to feel good about yourself, don't think that you're going to make money by flipping coins and trading and things like this. Build something, work, study. And if that takes you years to achieve, then it takes you years to achieve. But at the end of it, you'll feel much better. I absolutely love that. That was a beautiful um, ending um, to the, the conversation. I've really appreciated it, uh, oh. Craig. And uh, yeah, I hope you have a, a great rest of your rest of your day in England. And um, take those pumpkins there. And uh, yeah, I look forward to, to meeting you again in the, in the future at another event. No problem. Okay. Take care, Craig. Cheers. Bye. Catch you later. 
Thank you for listening to the Fireside Podcast with your host, Adam Bokert. And the Fireside Podcast is sponsored by Fire. And please feel free to check out their socials on Twitter at FireCorp and Instagram at FireCorp. And we're looking forward to welcoming you for our next episode.